Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have a mini water cooler episode and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film news editor, Huai Chen Bui. Hey, everyone. Actually, it's just you and me. Uh, I, I understand that we've received a lot of emails asking what's going on with the water cooler. As we've laid out uh, previously on this podcast, Slashfilm is in the middle of a big change right now. We're working on a redesign of the site. We have uh, new writers and stuff that we're being uh, that, that we're working with now. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, so we have not had time to get the entire crew together to do a traditional water cooler episode. So we're going to experiment with some instances where uh, we just bring two or maybe three people on and do sort of mini water coolers and just you know catch up on what we've been doing because um, I know that the listeners like to uh, like to hear about that stuff and and I like to hear about it too so uh, let's do that let's dive in Aishi what have you been doing recently well it's been about more than a month I think since our last water coolers I've been doing quite a bit uh, most of which I don't remember <laughs> yeah same um, I'm right there with you <laughs> uh, but this past weekend I went to the Met uh, which was really cool uh, I went to a museum experienced art. Uh, I went particularly because there was an, an exhibit there that I'm going to look up now because I can't remember exactly who it was. Um, yes, Alice Neal, People Come First. It was an exhibit that was 
closing this past weekend. And so my roommate and I decided to go and check it out. She is an artist who has basically sort of documented the past 50 years of, of American history almost, or lived through it at least. And uh, she's a she often um, works in portraits and those kind of things and was one of the first artists, including female artists, to really depict uh, women, uh, pregnant women, as well as uh, male nudity and everything. So it was a very, it was very interesting, very um, huh. just like great exhibit to walk through and uh, see American history as we studied. <laughs> the, that era specifically is what we study so much in, in public school. So I was like, oh, wow, it's like everything's studying public school, but through one specific woman's eyes. So it was, it was great. That was Alice Neal. People come first at the Met, which you can't see because that was the last weekend. It was there. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe it'll be like maybe it's a touring exposition or something, and maybe it'll it'll show up in um, or exhibition rather. Maybe it'll show up in, in different museums or something. So just keep your eyes out for that because that sounds really fascinating. Um, yeah. What else have you been doing, HD? Uh, I recently recorded an episode of Trekking Through Time and Space, which I co-host with Jacob Hall, um, with Paul Shear, the comedian and actor, um, and who was formerly involved with a Galaxy Quest TV show before he parted ways with the project. And we brought him on board to talk about Galaxy Quest, which is semi-related to our topic on Trekking Through Time and Space, which is a Star Trek and Doctor Who podcast. Galaxy Galaxy Quest is considered uh, by many one of the best Star Trek movies because it's a love letter, homage, um, satire of Star Trek. Um, And we talked about it with Paul Shear and it was this great conversation uh, where we talked about the nature of fandom both in the 90s and now and what his TV series his Galaxy Quest TV TV series uh, might have looked like so we got a few details from that that was a Patreon exclusive episode but it is now available to the public for all to, to listen to without a subscription uh, I listened to this episode, HT, and it is it is very good. I, I would definitely recommend everybody listening to it. You guys um, and and Paul here are just like so much fun to listen to, and and it's clear that you all are passionate about this topic. And um, Galaxy Quest is Galaxy Quest remains a really great movie. So it's just a, a fun conversation to listen to that touches on a bunch of uh, you know the, the sort of nexus point of all of your interests there. So it's really great. Yeah. Um. Uh, anything else, HT? but I don't know <laughs> anything you've been doing, Ben. Like, I haven't talked to you in forever apart from these brief little news episodes that we've done. What have, what have you been up to? Oh, geez. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm like you. I, I've been doing, you know, a little bit, but not too much. My wife and I are work, uh, working on building a library for mm-hmm. our uh, house upstairs. Like there's a, we have a sort of loft area and we're going to, we're putting together a bunch of bookshelves and staining them and, um, yeah, that's that's like a whole multi-month project because we're like doing it all completely from scratch and uh, you know designing everything and, and building it all out. And um, I've got my dad who has all these power tools and stuff to help us like you know cut the wood down and plywood and dealing with all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, lots of uh, yeah, just like home, you know, home kind of yeah that that sort of stuff. Very uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. I'm I'm really excited. I mean, we we just got um, I think two of the sort of skeletons, if you will, of the bookshelves. I think there are going to be six of them uh, sort of lined up against a wall together. So we have two of them completed and are close to completed. And we um, just put a bunch of books up there just to like see what it is going to look like. And that was a really exciting 
uh, moment of like, oh, wow, you can sort of start to see a glimmer of like what the final product is going to look like. So it was a cool, cool little thing that sort of like uh, relit a fire under us of like, all right, yeah, we got to like buckle down and get this project done. So hopefully in the next uh, couple months or something, we'll be able to share some photos of the finished product. So um, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, speaking of books, let's talk a little bit about what we've been reading. Uh, One thing that I read relatively recently was uh, The Count of Monte Cristo for the first time, um, which I had had, I'd grown up watching the 2002 movie. Have you ever seen that movie, uh, HT, with Guy Pierce and Jim Caviezel? I have a story about this movie. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because I was reading The Count of Monte Cristo for the first time uh, as the that as that when that movie came out and my parents had rented the movie and I was in the midst of reading the book and they told me that I couldn't watch the movie if I didn't finish the book and it was wow. one of the worst experiences of my little life because I was like wow this move this book is really hard to get started and it's really boring right now and I wish I just want to watch the movie so I never saw the movie because I never, I never finished the book oh okay all right yeah so I kind of had a little bit of trouble getting through the book because it's so different than the movie. And yeah. um, it's, it's slow to start, right? Yes, it is. It is. And it's actually, um, I, I, I mean, I feel like The Count of Monte Cristo is like a, um, a well-acknowledged, like globally recognized classic. So this is going to be kind of even silly for me to say, I think. But I think I prefer the movie because, uh, not not just because it's a long book or anything like that, but, uh, and and because of the pacing, like you mentioned, you know, it was written in, what, 1844 or something. So, uh, but the, um, the story decisions that the writer of the movie made uh, just sort of slimmed the narrative down in a way that made everything feel much more connected and interesting. Like the, the biggest example I can think of that I learned very early on is that in the movie version, uh, uh, what is his name? Edmund Dantes, the main character who eventually becomes the Count of Monte Cristo. Mm-hmm. He and his, uh, his in the movie, he's best friends with this guy named Fernand, who is played by um, Guy Pierce, And he's like the villain of the piece, basically. And he ends up uh, double-crossing him and sending him off to jail because he's jealous and they have this big rivalry. And in the movie, they're best friends. And in the book, they barely know each other. Yeah. So that uh, that betrayal feels so much more like it it's a real you know uh stab yeah emotional betrayal and like stab in the gut and like twist the knife kind of moment um in the movie because those characters are ostensibly close friends who've spent years growing up together and all this kind of stuff so you know it's a a lot of little decisions like that um add up uh into a totally different type of narrative and the the book goes off onto these weird tangents that are not in the movie at all and i understand that the film has to like obviously condense this huge you know tome down into a um you know a piece of entertainment that is going to be easily digestible for everybody so it feels a little um like hashtag basic of me to be like the this movie is better than this this uh you know beloved book but um i I gotta say she like the heart wants what the heart wants, and my heart wants the 2002 version of the Count of Monte Cristo. Well, I wish I could chime in on that because I I was prevented from watching it. <laughs> so I think I never you would enjoy it. It's it. Yeah. it's a little bit of it's got a little bit of a um, that swashbuckling kind of vibe, and it, mm-hmm. it's uh, you know it's a little bit like Pirates of the Caribbean or like Mask of Zorro. It's sort of like in that vein maybe not quite as many sword fights um but it it has that sort of slick look and like just solid uh you know early 2000s filmmaking that um that i feel like is is 
often overlooked, but I, I think Count of Monte Cristo is legitimately a good movie. So uh, yeah, I, I would recommend it to anybody. So that's what I've been reading. Uh, what have you been reading, HC? Well, I have been reading uh, Half Sick of Shadows. I finished re- reading Half Sick of Shadows, which uh, was my most recent book of the month, um, that subscription service that I am subscribed to. Uh, it's a book by Laura Sebastian, and it's a an Arthurian sort of feminist revisionist tale that tells the story of King Arthur from the point of view of uh, Elaine of Shalott, the Lady of Shalott. You might recognize the Lady of Shalott from the painting by John William Waterhouse, the one of the woman drowning uh, of her unrequited love for Lancelot. So the, that is, um, this book attempts to take her story and uh, revise it in a way that she's, she has her own agency and she's the own heroine of her story. And she becomes uh, a a prophet of sorts. She's she's kind of a seer, so there's like more of her to do within like the the text of the story, and it's good until I think uh, Laura Sebastian, the author, kind of bites off more than she can chew, and it kind of just devolves. Like the end just kind of devolves. It reminded me a lot of um, that great Greek mythology, like feminist revision book that I read last year called Circe, uh, which was really uh, phenomenal and actually managed to give this really interesting and compelling female forward spin on a lot of that Greek mythology. And Hastic of Shadows attempts to do the same thing, but it kind of feels like a still more, a still newer author who doesn't quite have a handle on all all of her tools yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the end, the book kind of feels a little bit YA in a sense and it's enjoyable it's a really fast read um I actually did enjoy like there's a lot of romance uh towards like the latter half of the book and sort of towards the beginning too and I actually think that it played up well until she kind of just like lost control of what she was trying to do and it just got Mm. too big for her because she's trying to tackle a lot of Arthurian mythology within like this book that is very small and focused so I think um you know it had a good ambition to it, but I think that the author t- bit off a little more more than she can chew, and as a result, it ended up feeling like a little w- too YA. Okay, so that's half sick of shadows. What else? Um, well, last time I was on the water cooler, I talked about Mexican Gothic, and it didn't take me this long to read it. I actually read it within like the next couple of days that I started started to speak about it on the water cooler, and uh, I just want to talk about it here because I absolutely adored it do you ever have those moments when you finish a book and you're like wow that book was really good i want to keep reading the book but there's nothing more to read yes yeah (laughs) i had that experience with mexican gothic which um like i described before is a book by sylvia moreno garcia and it takes um it gives like this sort of um poc led twist on the the gothic uh genre it's everything you expect, this dilapidated house, a woman who enters and is faced with all of these uh, strange obstacles, but it also adds, uh, you know, like added bits of racism, this eugenicist type of character, mm. and uh, some really interesting sort of science, not science fiction, but like science-based twists. And after reading it, I it made me really sad that Guillermo del Toro had already directed Crimson Peak because I could so see him directing uh, 
Mexican Gothic and turning it into a film that's just very Guillermo del Toro. And I just, um, I know there's an adaptation actually on the way of Mexican Gothic. It's a TV series, I think, with Eva Longoria. And from the description of it, it sounds much more soapy and less interesting than what the book actually is. So I'm a little Mm. disappointed by that. But I just want to say Mexican Gothic, the book, is so fun. It's delicious. It's it's um it's just really the like delightful and gothic and uh, twisted and it's, just a lot, it's a lot of fun to read and I um I really really enjoyed it so that's Mexican Gothic I wish I could keep reading it again oh, yeah um, my uh, my wife is reading that right now and she seems to be liking it a lot um I think she she just started but uh, I'm yeah. excited to uh, to check that out if, if, especially if you liked it and and if uh, if she likes it as much then yeah I'll have to move it near the you know closer to the top of my pile of things to read I have one criticism about it towards about the ending which I felt was a little too sentimental but I have my own sort of headcanon of how it would end and I could see it almost playing out as a movie um, but <laughs> You know, I once if you ever get to reading it, we'll have a discussion about it because uh, I don't I cool. I think that the sentimental ending might have been a little out of place with the rest of the really great book. Um, the other thing I've been reading is The Committed by Viet Thanh Nguyen. So it's the sequel actually to his first book, The Sympathizer, which was the Pulitzer Prize winning book um, that has now made him a, a brand name in the Vietnamese community. And every time I write a good article, my, my uncles and aunts are like, wow, you could be the next Viet Thanh Nguyen. <laughs> I won't be. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> I'm not nowhere near. Anyways, The Committed. Um, it takes place a couple years after The Sympathizer. The Sympathizer ends with him... Um, ending up in a re-education camp and uh it's kind of hard to explain because there's a little bit of lore like continuation from the sympathizer the sympathizer follows a communist spy uh in towards the end of the vietnam war and after it ends and he is sent to america to uh keep an eye on and be a mole in the uh revolutionaries who or not the revolutionaries the, the um the soldiers uh, of the South Vietnamese army who were driven out after the war ended and um, to keep an eye and spy on them. And um, he ends up falling in love and having his, his um, sympathies be confused. And towards the end of the sympathizer spoilers, he gets sent to a re-education camp and the the, the committed picks up with him arriving in France, which uh, is really interesting because it deals with the imperialist legacy of um of france in vietnam in a a very spy thriller slash now it's it's a a drug uh sort of smuggling book too so it's a crime thriller basically it's 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 um really excellent just uh the prose that Viet nguyen has is it's just so so sharp and fun to read and uh i I really like. I mean, he he's a great writer. No no hot takes there. But um, mm-hmm. that's the committed, and I highly highly recommend reading it if you have read the sympathizer because it does pick up pretty immediately with the plot sequences from that first book. Okay, all right. So let's move into what we've been watching. You and I have both watched uh, a couple of, th- of the same things. Uh, we f- watched Never Have I Ever season two, which um, I, I know that you know in our Slack channel we were talking about uh, how great that was. What I, I have not talked to you since you finished the season. So what did you think about the the season as a whole? Oh, I loved it. Um, 
it made me cry again, which is something I almost didn't expect because the first season I watched it when I was quarantining at home for two weeks and I thought that maybe my emotions were heightened because I was alone. But it turns out it can make me cry again anyways. But it just continues with what made the first season so great. I was wondering whether that loss of the the main theme, the main issue of her uh, dealing with her grief would be lost in the second season because you kind of come to a nice full arc in that first season. Mm-hmm. Um, but you see her still really dealing with it. And as we see, you know, depression and anxiety and and a lot of those mental health issues never go away after just one good um, relationship breakthrough with your mom. It still is something that you have to keep working through. And it's, it's just um, really great to see how the show continues with that with as well as with all the high school hijinks and um, love triangles. I'm still team Ben Gross. Um, sorry to team Paxson fans. I don't understand <laughs> how you can be team Paxson fans because team Paxson is a fantasy. Like that's the whole thing. And I, th- I think that the whole fantasy of him takes away from what actually, what actually makes never have I ever interesting as a coming of age series, but whatever. You can live your fantasy, guys. He's a 30-year-old man kissing a teen, so I don't know, whatever. Yeah, that's the the weirdest thing is I, you know, I, I my we always do this, my wife and I, when we're watching stuff, like we'll look up the ages of the people because a lot of times we're watching like old stuff and it's, it's just really difficult, you know, if you're watching something from the 1950s, well, well, well before we were born, I have no context for how old each of these actors are and like how old the characters are that they're supposed to be playing. So we've sort of gotten in this habit of like, almost every time we fire something up um, and there's like a, a relationship between two characters or something, I'm just like, okay, what are the characters supposed to be? And then how, what, what is the age difference of the actors here? I'm just like curious about this stuff. And we, we ended up looking this up near the, I think at the very, very end of Never Have I Ever season two and saw that the guy who plays Paxton is literally 30 years old. And I was completely shocked by that. Um, I mean, yeah. That Are you was... really, really that shocked though? He looks like a 30 year old too. I mean, I guess so. I just assumed that most of these people were like in their early twenties or something, but yeah, I mean, now that I see it, I'm kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. That makes, <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, and it's really weird. It's really, really weird. I, I, I meant to go back and look and see like how old, um, like John Travolta was in Greece. Cause that's like one of the the you know frequently cited examples of somebody who's like way older than a high schooler um, being in that in a movie like that, and mm-hmm. I just I'm not even sure if Travolta was 30 at that point. I'm I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up later. But um, yeah. Anyway, I, I I'm right there with you generally uh, about this season. I, I loved it, and I thought that um, yeah, it was like very much more of the same, but like uh, some new complications and the tone I thought was was. Uh, yeah, a little bit lighter because it wasn't so much, um, it, it wasn't as overt about her dealing with her grief. It was like the way that she um, acts out and the behavior that she exhibits is like uh, symptoms of, of her dealing with her grief. But it's not, it's not like so, um, not that the first season was heavy, but it's not as like. Uh, Loaded, I guess. Yeah. And like in your face kind of. Um, but I, I just, I loved it so much. I think the storytelling is so great. The characters are so well drawn. Um, and and the jokes are really really funny and that's like you know one of those things that I feel like a lot of the um, a lot of the shows like this sort of forget at least one of those components or or don't do them you know as well as the others and the show I feel like has a really great balance of all of them so mm-hmm. uh, never have I ever great show watch both seasons it's on Netflix uh, one of the other things we've watched HD is I think you should leave um, so had you seen the first season of this show no and honestly it was 
off my radar. I had only seen the hot dog costume meme and had <laughs> not put two and two together. I just was very confused about why people were referencing this and also what it actually meant. But then Chris Evangelista uh, posted about something called coffin flop in our Slack. And I said, well, you got to explain it now, Chris. And he explained it to us. And I was like, well, now I have to watch. I think you should leave. <laughs> <laughs> and I blew through the two seasons um, within like a couple days because they are each episode is 15 minutes long and they're all just a bunch of sketches. Um, and I actually watched the uh, Bob Odenkirk sketch um, right after he was, um, you know, it was said that he was okay and everything after his uh, heart attack scare. So that was, that came out, that came, that I, I that timing was really good. Um, but I think you should yeah, leave. Yeah. Really funny, really absurd internet comedy. Um, and I don't know why I didn't discover it before. I did not like the second season as much as the first season. I'm not sure, HD, because you watched it all, you know, over, over sounds like a pretty small period. I'm not sure if you have like this distinction in your mind between where the, the first and second season, you know, ends and, and picks up. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, for some reason, I didn't think that the laughs per sketch were as high in the, the newest batch of episodes. Although there are some, some standouts, Coffin Slop, of course, being one of them. Um, I, thought I think the ghost hysterical. Uh, but, house um, tour was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, there are, it definitely has its moments. And that's the thing about, you know, these sketch shows where like, there's a bunch of short little pieces. And, um, and so you're just like rolling the dice every time. Like, okay, if, if this sucks, uh, you've got 10 minutes and then, you know, you can move on to the next kind of thing. So, uh, or, or less than that, the, the sketches themselves are not nearly that long, but, um, yeah. So I think you should leave. Uh, yeah, I, I personally, I enjoyed the first season a little bit more, but, um, I'll definitely keep watching if they keep making this show. I think there's, um, there's enough, like the, the goods have a high enough highs to, to keep me, uh, tuned in for sure. Um, okay, so two things that I watched really quickly that I just wanted to mention. Boys in the Hood, I'd never seen before. Uh, this movie came out in 1991. It was written and directed by John Singleton. It was his feature uh, directorial debut. I believe he is still the youngest person to be nominated for uh, Best Director uh, at the Academy Awards for his work in this movie. And um, man, what holy cow, what a movie. Uh, I just, I really loved this and... Uh, I was, I don't know, for some reason, I just, I, I missed this movie, uh, for my entire life. And I finally just sat down and said, I have to see this. I think there was like an anniversary recently, uh, of this film and, um, man, Lawrence Fishburne. Like if you've not seen this movie, w watch it for Lawrence Fishburne alone, because the work that he does, uh, as the main character's father is uh, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s father in this movie is, um, I think, one of the best performances that I've ever seen from Lawrence Fishburne, uh, which is saying a lot because the dude has been in, he's been very good in a, in a lot of things. So Boys in the Hood, uh, I think it's streaming on Peacock is where I watched it. I'm not sure if it's still there because um, it's August 3rd now and sometimes at the at the start of a month. Uh, projects like this will will transition over to different streaming services but uh, do yourself a favor and, and seek this out if you've not watched it it's uh, very very good uh H. have you ever seen boys in the hood by any chance i haven't no okay yeah i would i would strongly recommend it ice cube uh gives like a, a career defining performance like his first uh performance and he's been you know tearing it up for decades now um but it's, it's just he's so natural and um there's just something something magnetic and about his performance in this movie too. So Boys in the Hood, 
very, very good. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I watched a Netflix movie called The Last Letter from Your Lover. Uh, have you ever heard of this, HD? I'd never heard of it before. I just like saw the, the tile and clicked on it randomly. Is this that Shailene Woodley movie? It is, yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't know anything else other than that. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Felicity Jones and Shailene Woodley star in this movie, and it's it's one of those films where um, Felicity Jones plays a journalist in modern day who discovers a batch of letters, uh, like love letters, that were written between uh, Shailene Woodley's character and a, a mysterious man. And it's a flashback movie where like Felicity Jones, as this journalist, is is trying to put these pieces together and like learning about this love story that took place decades before. Um, if you've seen Cloud Atlas, the Wachowskis film, there is a subplot in that movie. Sorry, that... what a comparison. If you've seen Cloud <laughs> Atlas, it's like this te- this romantic weepy movie. Well, there, there's a subplot in, in Cloud Atlas. One of the many stories that are, that are that sort of uh, make up the puzzle pieces of that movie is this almost this exact thing where like a character you know decades uh, ahead discovers these a batch of love letters and and uh, tries to find the author of these letters and like put these people back in touch um that's basically what's going on here i think the movie is um it's fine uh the the female actors are much better suited for this film than the male actors uh my wife amy was like this movie you should pick this movie up shake it have all of the men fall out and then just recast it and and then this movie would actually be like pretty good um the story itself is is pretty uh you know it's it's um familiar it's it's a like a lot of romantic comedies, it's it's hitting the beats. It's formulaic, but is it romantic uh, comedy or like a romantic weepy? Because it sounds more like the latter. Yeah, I guess there are a couple little jokes in here, but yeah, it's not it's not it's a weepy makes it seem like it's um it's like an emotional powerhouse, like mm-hmm. this devastating story, and it's not that at more all. Like I guess it's more though. of a, a drama, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, you, you sort of like know exactly how a story like this is going to play out, you know, as it's going. And the pleasure is just watching the actors, and a lot of them just unfortunately don't have the the presence or the chemistry that you would want in a role like this or in, in parts like this. So the movie is the last letter from your lover. I, I would say skip it, but um, but if you're like <laughs> if you're a Felicity Jones or Shailene Woodley completist or something, if if such people exist, then uh, it's on Netflix. If you want to check that out. Uh, AC, what have you been watching? I have been watching a lot of things that you can see my reviews of on SlashFilm.com. So I'm going to run through those very quickly because you can read them and uh, listen to a couple of my reactions on previous episodes, such as The Green Knight, which I talked about uh, for a few minutes a couple episodes ago. It's simply spectacular. My favorite movie of the year so far. I am intimidated and beguiled and seduced and and in love with it completely so that's the green knight check out my review um the suicide squad also really great really fun james gunn at his most james gunn just completely unleashed in the most insane bizarre gonzo way uh extremely violent and extremely enjoyable uh check out my review (laughs) snake eyes stinks has one of the worst action um choreography not shooting action filming of a major action heavy blockbuster i've seen it's it's such a shame because it really wastes the talents of martial arts 
um, talents like Andrew Koji and Iku Uwais. Um, But it did make me interested in seeing Andrew Koji in other things because he had so much charisma that I thought, wow, I really need to watch a movie with him. A movie with him. Turns out he has his own TV show. So it finally got me to watch Warrior, um, which is one of the things I've been watching as well. Uh, fantastic. I've heard very good things about Warrior. It's on HBO Max. It's one of those shows that I see. Like, a lot of people that I uh, that I trust and and respect have said very very you know strong things about the show. So it's in my list of things, but I've not seen it. How, how far into Warrior are you, I'm, HT? I'm about four episodes in. It's fantastic. It's set in the 1800s in San Francisco and takes and follows the gang wars that are brewing between. Um, Chinese triads that are living there as well as the racial tensions between the the Chinese people and the the white people who live in San Francisco. But it's really more less of a gangster uh, series and more of a western. It's it's so western in fact. It, that one episode most the episode I most recently watched might have been episode 4 takes place entirely in the middle of the desert. It, it's like a big Mexican standoff in this um in like this tavern basically mm. and uh it's it's a lot of fun andrew koji uh kills a man by punching his heart out it's crazy <laughs> <laughs> okay i mean i was already sold but now i'm definitely sold that sounds incredible yeah yeah yeah. you should watch it i think you would love it um, <laughs> other things that i've been watching uh are is still water a surprising matt damon movie which is more than just taken meets the amanda knox story it's um quite a much more provocative and murky and compelling story about a person played by Matt Damon, a father who is completely out of his element after his daughter is um, imprisoned for the murder of her roommate um, and um, in, in France, in Marseille. So it's, it's actually much more interesting. It's about like wrestling with personal and um, systemic sort of uh, helplessness. And uh, it's, it's a lot more interesting than the headlines would have you believe anyways. Um, so that's Stillwater. And I watched Free Guy, which I will have a review up for later this week. It's fun. Um, it's a Ryan Reynolds comedy. It does feel slightly like it was made by an algorithm in a way that I think detracts from some of the earnestness of this film, which I actually really enjoyed. But um, well, I'll unpack that a little later uh, on SlashFilm.com. And another thing that I've watched is Starstruck, which is actually a show that I think you would really enjoy, Ben. I, I didn't realize that you had written this down. I have watched this and I loved it. Okay. It's like one of the, my favorite things that I've seen this year so far. Okay, just kidding. I don't need to sell it to you then because you've already seen it. <laughs> Anyways, Starstruck is a, basically a millennial twist on Notting Hill. It's about a woman, a millennial living in East London, Jessie, who is juggling several jobs and is kind of a mess and she has a one night stand with an actor uh, who's like modestly famous and they keep having these encounters throughout the year that either end um, like with a a misunderstanding or some sort of uh, way that they they end badly or they end well and they just kind of don't uh, meet up again until like a couple of months later by chance. And uh, it's, it's really charming. It's so funny. And I was completely like struck by this show. I, I just kind of put it on on a whim and I, I blew through it. It's so funny and charming and just like the leads, um, 
who are played by uh, Rose Matafeo and Nick Cash Patel have such good chemistry. So that's starstruck. Yeah, um, they are both fantastic. There's only six episodes in this uh, season. I think that there's a second season that's like underway or, or maybe so. uh, greenlit or something. But um, even if that falls apart, I think this just ends perfectly that, that season one does. Um, God, yeah. I, I mean, I, I cannot recommend this highly enough. If you're, if you're like, you know, actually one of the, the big um, talking points that I've seen uh, really over the past several years is like, why, why is um, Hollywood, why is it so difficult to, um, you know, put like sex appeal and like uh, adult chemistry and just like good romantic relationships on screen? It sort of seems like, especially with the Marvel movies and stuff, a lot of that kind of falls to the wayside and everything just feels a little bit more, um, I don't know, yeah, sexless, sexless and sanitized and just sort of like chaste than than uh, it used to. And I don't know how much of that is just like American filmmaking or what, but this this is a show that, um, you know, it's not like explicit or anything, but the- uh, It's very the, frank about it. Yeah, it's very frank and the, and the relationships, um, they feel real in a way that a lot of the, you know, mainstream Hollywood uh, blockbuster relationship stuff just doesn't. I mean, you were talking about it, uh, feels like an algorithm with, with Free Guy, it kind of like- a lot of the relationships in movies like that feel um, like just sort of plug and play. But this, this actually feels like two people who are like legitimately hot for each other, which is just really refreshing to watch. So yeah. uh, Star Trek, Starstruck is wonderful. It's on HBO Max. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, other things I've been watching, Evil, I have started checking it out for the first time. I'm only about partway through the first season, so I haven't been able to check out the second season yet, which is now recently on Paramount Plus. But it's great. I agree with what everyone has said, which I don't know if people have said this on the podcast, but Jacob described it as Hannibal, but you can watch it with your parents, which I agree. It's kind of amazing that this is this was something that was on CBS at primetime because it's quite sinister and much more envelope pushing than you would expect a procedural about um, a Catholic church uh employed group of people who investigate exorcisms and other sort of ghostly and potentially religious and demonic um, incidents. So it's it's good. Uh, quite quite dark, and but quite um, just like a lot of fun to watch. Okay. So, and last thing, <laughs> I finally watched The Jinx, guys. It only took me six years. <laughs> yeah, didn't The Jinx come? I think they came out in like 2014, 2015. 2015. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you guys already know. It takes me forever to watch things that are currently in the zeitgeist. And um, I was telling this actually to my roommate and we were talking about cereal and somehow I ended up talking about the jinx, which was something that she had actually never heard of. She had never heard of Robert Durst. And I said, what? You have not heard of Robert Durst. And I explained to her the whole thing because despite never having watched the jinx, I know all of it through pop culture culture osmosis. I was covering entertainment news at the time. I remember the headlines after the Jinx finale came out. Robert Durst has been arrested by the FBI, et cetera, et cetera. So I knew the whole backstory. So I told her all that. And I was like, well, now I have to, we have to watch it finally, because I just told you this whole thing and I'm all excited about watching it. And it's excellent. It's, it's really, really great. We sped through uh, the first four episodes. We have two episodes left and it's just amazing, compelling true crime TV that doesn't, that feels almost like, yeah, the, the filmmakers stumbled upon it by happy accident um mm. but it's insane how people can get away with things with just a little bit of money and um bad police work and you know we've seen so many true crime things that we've seen that this is the case but it feels like uh, the jinx is there is that at its like purest and and um 
oldest form. So yes, oh my god, yeah, I well, this is like I mean top five easily true crime things I've ever watched, and uh, it's really I mean I think right there it came out right around the same time as Serial, so mm-hmm. it sort of helped. Uh, true crime has always been a thing, but um, I think it helped popularize it in. And and sort of like ratchet it up to the level that it's at now, which has just been like a fever pitch for the past five years. It seems like, um, but yeah, man, this this show is like one of those that uh, the OG. I, yeah, I, I recommend it to everybody. It's like um, you, you just like won't believe, even if you know the details, like HT was saying, because it's so widely publicized. Um, just the craft on display, I thought was is really uh, is really good, and like just hearing the stuff from Durst himself. Um, he is such a character, like a, really a a TV character, but also like a um, man. There's there. There's just nothing like it. There's nothing like the Jinx. I cannot think of another thing that sort of has that weird alchemy of like um, you know uh, mesmerizing watchability, but also like you're kind of repulsed by what's going on, but you're also thinking about these you know broader like uh, societal and eco- economic injustices, like you were talking about too. I mean, there's just so much there. Um, it's it's so wonderful. So I'm glad that you finally watched it. I did. It only took me six years. So, you know, six <laughs> more years until, what, Mayor of East Town or something? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I think we can skip the what we've been eating and playing. I don't think we have anything there. So let's uh, let's wrap things up. Actually, I'm going to try to uh, put a link as to as many of those reviews as I can here in the show notes so people can uh, get you know more deep dives on your your thoughts of uh, the, the films that you mentioned there. Um, so yeah, check out the show notes. You can find more uh, at SlashFilm.com and inside the show notes of this episode, SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.